Welcome, everyone, to Force of Nature Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew D. Hamilton, and I'm here with my co-host, David Botcher. Terrific. This episode, we are going to follow up and finish our coverage of Night of the Grizzlies. Ooh. And this is part two. I hope everyone enjoyed part one, and I'm sorry I left you on a cliffhanger at the end there. Yeah, you did. But we are that's going... stranded on top of a cabin. <laughs> but we are... That's, that's where they left off, <laughs> yes. yes. But we are going to be coming out of the gate real hot for the rest of the story. Uh, it's really an incredible story. Two grizzly attacks on the same night at Glacier National Park, both resulting in the brutal death of a 19-year-old woman. Well, no, something funny is all of a sudden I'm seeing all this stuff about grizzly bears on my news feeds. Mm-hmm. I've been pulling them and I'm holding them for our... Our uh, recent, recent animal. Yeah, well, there yeah. was one just in Alaska. Gee, the, uh, there's been so many. And some of them aren't even attacks, but it's just stories that, with grizzlies. Stories things they them. haven't seen before. What's that? Yeah, stories about grizzlies. Like, yeah. They're yeah. all over my feet all the time, too. <laughs> Are they? Okay. But uh, there was uh, a big story recently of an attack in Alaska, which we'll cover. Oh, yeah. We'll cover that yeah. eventually. But um, uh, Night of the Grizzlies, this story is j- is just as good, if not better, than most true crime stories. This one is just has bears as the killers. Oh, boy. Uh, I'm really excited to share the rest of the story. I wrote 35 pages for this one. I think that's, wow. the, I think that's the record. Oh, record. Uh, but before we get into it, we are, of course, are joined in the studio by everyone's favorite cheetah, Professor Cheetor. Mm, Matt, what a gorgeous looking bun on top of your head. Is that a man bun? It kind of looks like a bunny rabbit tail. Oh, well, thank you, <laughs> Professor. Yeah, the man bun's going right now. I'll tell you that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> the man bun. I've been waiting bun. all my life to have one. <laughs> I, couldn't get, I couldn't get one. <laughs> all right. Uh, and as always, we want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in to us. We've been doing real well in our downloads, and it's really awesome. So thank you to everyone. And if you enjoy the show, something you can do to contribute is go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you use. Go in there, give us a review, give us five stars, say something you like about the show. You can say whatever you want. Tell me what kind of pizza toppings you like. That's fine. <laughs> but you can say whatever you want. Just, uh, yeah, give it five stars. It really helps a lot. Helps uh, podcasts gain more attention, gain more listeners. And I feel like that's been working because we have been gaining more attention and oh, listeners good. through the last couple months. So that's great. So, yeah, if you haven't done that, please go ahead and do that for us. But, Dave, I don't want to keep anybody waiting on anything so what do you say we just hop right into the episode let's do it all right but uh we probably we should do first is go over a quick recap so we remember what happened in in both stories and where we left off with them let's do that real quick okay our first story which is the one with roy ducat and julia uh, helgeson is where i left us in the last episode Okay. Right during there. And if you remember, Roy and Julie were camping outside a couple hundred yards from the Grand Park Chalet. There were about 50 or 60 people staying at the chalet that night. And close by to Roy and Julie were the Kleins, Robert and Janet, and then also Don Gullett. After the bear attacked Roy and Julie, an injured Roy found Don the Klein, and the Kleins, and Roy told them that the bear had Julie. You remember that? Yeah. And they took Roy to a small trail cabin where they signaled to the chalet and told them about the bear. And then, of course, we learned about what happened during the attack. Uh, it was pretty scary stuff during that part. But go back and listen and listen to that at the end of part one if you want to remember exactly what went down with the first um, attack story. Okay. Okay. 
Um, and we will pick up on that story a, a little bit later. But now, I want to begin where we left off with the second story. Okay. For the second story, we met several young park workers who went to camp at Trout Lake. Our main character is 19-year-old Michelle Coons. She is with Paul Dunn, Denise Huckle, brothers Ray and Ron Nosek as well. And, oh, and of course, the, the dog named Squirt. Okay. But, uh, and if you remember, they had just set up a campsite when a bear came by and rummaged through their entire camp. And this is a bear that gave other people problems. And it had, remember, it, it chased away a group of Girl Scouts mm -hmm. as well as um, made uh, it treed a bunch of uh, hikers in another group. And everyone made mention that this bear acted strangely and looked strange. It was small, skinny, and unkept. Something was off about this particular okay. bear. And after the bear left the campsite, they all agreed to make a new campsite a little ways away from the original. It was now dark outside, and they kept a fire going all night to deter the bear if it came back. Okay. And it was getting late, so they all placed their sleeping bags in a semicircle uh, around the fire and fall asleep and that is where we are going to pick up so dave are you ready i'm ready oh and dave if at any point like you feel like you miss something or uh -huh. you get a little confused you just stop and ask me and okay I'll straighten you out on it okay. okay uh so let's get into it michelle and the rest are sleeping and then around two or three in the morning denise heard some splashing coming from pretty close to the camp from the edge of the lake hmm the dog Squirt, who had been leashed up next to Denise, stood up and kind of growled in that direction, oh. knowing that something's there. Denise grabbed Squirt and put him into her sleeping bag. She thought she could make out the silhouette of a bear and didn't want Squirt to antagonize it. Oh. Sounds moved from the lake back to where their first campground was. And Denise woke everyone uh, the the Nosek brothers rebuilt the fire. They also set a bag of cookies on the edge of a log and then returned to their bags. Oh. Within just a few minutes, the bear approached the camp, grabbed the cookies, and then disappeared again. Oh, wow. The five campers decided they would stay awake. They would feed the fire and leave at first light. They're getting pretty nervous right now. Yeah. It was about 3 a.m., and first light wouldn't be till around 6 a.m. Okay. They heard the bear up until about 4 a.m. Jeez. Uh, and then all the noise kind of stopped a little bit after that. Okay. Yeah. First light, first light isn't far off, and they all kind of, you know, they faded back into going to sleep. And they didn't hear the bear for a while, so they're like, all right. We're... And you just kind of fall asleep in that situation. Yeah. You too. Then at around 4.30... Denise woke up again, hearing a splash, and through the night, she could see the bear approaching the camp. Oh, boy. The fire had fallen to low ambers again. Uh, when the bear was four or five feet away, Denise pulled the sleeping bag over her head and tucked and over her, her head and squirt. Uh, she uh, held squirt tightly in her arms as they both trembled. Oh, boy. 
She could hear the bear sniffing at her sleeping bag. Oh, wow. So Paul Dunn, the 16-year-old, woke up, noticed the bear, and tried to hold still in his sleeping bag. He could hear the bear getting closer and closer. Then something crunched into his sleeping bag, grabbing his sweatshirt. Ugh. Instinctively, he scrambled out of his bag to his feet and shouted, The goddamn bear tore my shirt. <laughs> then the bear got up on its feet, if ready to attack. But Paul dashed up a nearby tree in a matter of seconds. Gee. Like he got up that tree fast and he was cutting him he cut himself several times in the oh, process wow. in his desperate ascent up the tree. Okay, he's the jock in this horror scenario. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> Uh, the bear came up to the tree, and that's when Denise and Ron decided it was time for them to escape, too. Ron told Denise to get up and move, but she struggled unhooking Squirt, un unhooking Squirt's leash, which was tied to a log. Oh. Ron grabbed her anyway, and they took off about 50 yards towards the original camp. He kind of like, just leave the dog. We got to go. Oh, yeah. But uh, they got up 50 yards and they stopped uh, gasping. They were gasping for breath. And then Squirt actually made, he somehow got untangled. Oh, right and he, he made it up there with them. Nice. He followed them up there. So Ron helped Denise up a tree and gave Squirt to her. So uh, she's, she's safe. And then he climbed up a tree of his own. So three of the five are safe now. Okay. Including Squirt. But Michelle and Ray are still in their sleeping bags near the bear. Oh boy, they didn't they didn't bail, huh? No, the bear might have been too close to them. They were too scared. Oh. They maybe they weren't really awake. We don't oh, really know okay. that much. But Paul Dunn yells out for Michelle and Ray to get up and climb a tree. Denise and Ron can't see from where they are, but also begin yelling and kind of adding to the pandemonium. Mm. Get out, find a tree. That's what they're yelling. Oh, okay. The bear begins sniffing Ray's bag for a second, but then kind of turns its attention to Michelle. Oh, boy. Ray leaps out of his bag and runs toward Denise and his brother. Everyone is now yelling for Michelle to do the same, but Michelle's zipper is stuck. Oh, no. And she can't get out. Oh, she could do a sleeping bag race or something. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> not escape when she needs to. Oh, um, boy. As she struggles getting out, the bear clamped its jaws on the side of the sleeping bag. Michelle starts to scream. Oh, he may have mistaken her for a big earthworm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what they say surfers get mistaken for, you know, seals in, in the water. <laughs> giant earthworm for bears? Yeah. <laughs> All right, now Paul Dunn is up a tree close enough to where he can kind of see what's going on through the moonlight. The bear clawed at Michelle. She cried out, it's ripping my arm. Oh, man. Paul once again yells for her to get out and climb a tree. I, she says, I can't. It's got the zipper. So now the bear's got the zipper, oh, so boy. she's not able to get out. Yeah, it's got my arm. It's got my arm. Oh my, my arm is goodness. gone. Oh my god, oh, I'm dead. No. That's oh what my she's yelling goodness. Out. Oh my god, I'm dead. Jeez. Paul Dunn watched as the bear lifted the sleeping bag with Michelle in it and carried her off up a hill into the darkness. Oh wow. He could hear sounds like he could hear her 
kind of screaming still oh. and fading into the distance so that he could hear like it sounds like it sounded like bones crunching ah oh. in all the hysteria paul gets down from his tree and puts puts some clothes on and goes to where the others are and climbs up a tree there uh, they stayed there until 6 a.m. around first light. Wow. They got down, went to the campsite, gathered what they could, shoes and jackets, whatever they need. Uh, they tried listening for hints of where the bear took Michelle. They, they're not going to go look for her right now. Okay. That's what they decide because there's still a, you know, a bear that could be a very dangerous bear could be, you know, right there. Yeah. Ron was convinced that he could hear, Bones being snapped in the distance. Ah, gee. The four terrified campers ran down the trail, fearing that the bear could come back. Uh, Two hours later, after going four miles through rugged terrain, they arrive back near Kelly's camp. And they run into a fisherman and his wife, who picked them up and drove them to the ranger station. Okay. The rangers were very surprised to hear this story and what had happened. Especially because they've already been dealing with another bear attack. Oh, boy. And that's where we're going to put this story on pause for now. Okay. Um, Let everybody, let that sink in for everybody. Pretty scary, to say the least, huh? Would not want to be in that position. Gee. Now, let's go back and check in with what's going on with our first story, okay? Okay. And if you remember... Don Gullet, the Kleins, and Roy Ducat, the young he's the young man that was attacked by the bear, are inside of a small trail cabin. They are doing what they can to tend to Roy's wounds. Uh, they made contact with the chalet, notifying them what had happened. Well, all they really know at the chalet is people are in trouble and a bear is involved. Okay. So let's go to the chalet and meet with our characters there. Okay. Our main cast of characters at the chalet, if you remember, are 22-year-old ranger naturalist Joan Devereaux. So remember her. Uh, okay. Then we have a man named um, Dr. Lipinski, who is a surgeon. He's also important. Then a man named Father Tom Connolly. He's a priest. This is starting to sound like characters from Jumanji or something. <laughs> Just throwing it's all old Jumanji stuff. Well, and then he, <laughs> then we're, we're also he hiked with a man named Steve Pierre. He's a Native American man. This is perfect. <laughs> Just getting a huge, yeah, just a diverse <laughs> cast of yeah. characters. Uh, but that's kind of our main. We're gonna meet several other characters as well. But those are kind of our main ones. I want you to remember. Okay. So everybody was on the roof of the chalet, shouting at the cabin and Don. Uh, they said, what's the trouble? And like the, they yelled, bear, if you remember that. Yeah. Through all the confusion at the chalet, everyone kind of turned to 22-year-old ranger Joan Devereaux. She became the uh, the leader, essentially. She's the one with the smolder. Got it. Yes. <laughs> and she does a pretty good job with it, as we'll find out. So we, we got to give her credit. Okay. Uh, this is around 1 a.m. to give you an idea on time. Wow. So all of our characters gather together and decide to walk down to the small trail cabin. There are others as well. Altogether, 14 people hike down. Okay. Steve Pierre, the Native American, knows there's really only one thing that frightens grizzlies. What do you think it is? Uh, Wolverines? (laughs) Fire. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, he just brings out some Wolverines out of his bag and, and, oh, let's go. 
No, fire. So they filled a metal tub, like kind of, it, looked, it was it resembled like a large bucket, filled it with scrap wood, set it ablaze, and took it with them on their okay. hike down. They hiked down and come to the trail cabin. Once they arrived, the place kind of exploded with confusion. People, what do we do? What do we do? Okay. The Chalet people see Roy Ducat wrapped up in a sleeping bag, not in very good shape. Dr. Lipinski and another doctor who tagged along see to helping Roy. Nobody from the Chalet uh, thought to bring a first aid kit, though. Now, who is the one that was with Roy? Julie, ha- she, she's, she's the one taken, that's been right? taken by the bear, okay. yes. So Julie has been taken and Michelle has been taken. Yes. On the other, on the other story. Yes, Julie and Michelle are the victims. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> yes, they forgot to bring a first aid kit. However, Robert Klein had a small one on him, so they kind of used that. Uh, Dr. Lipinski wanted really badly to go and say, uh, save Julie, who was taken by the bear. But he knows the search for her would have to wait. Roy Ducat was the main concern right now. Okay. He was thinking about the uh, triage system of medical priority, where the doctor's first responsibility was to those that can be saved. Mm. And he learned this from a brief um, trip to Vietnam. Mm, so wow. During okay. The war. It's a real thing, especially in war or like natural disasters. You, you save who can be saved. Yeah. So Dr. Lipinski said to find something to carry Roy on. Some of the people pulled together a kind of a, a makeshift box spring because there was a bed in there. So they used the um, box spring or whatever uh-huh. from the bed there, to, uh, placed him on that and carried him back to the chalet. They finally arrive after taking a wrong turn in the in the night. Oh. It actually took 30 minutes when it should have only taken 10. Yeah, they took a wrong turn. Oh, okay. But anyway, they get there, put Roy on a table, and Dr. Lipinski rolls up his sleeves and goes to work on a very injured Roy. And during this whole stretch, Roy is conscious and still is yelling out, save Julie, don't worry about me, go save the girl. That's kind of what he's saying the whole time. So a small crew stayed behind at the trail cabin, so everyone else took Roy up to the chalet, mm-hmm. but a few people stayed behind, including Joan Devereaux. She had a two-way radio in her position and was trying to radio in it to headquarters. She didn't have much training on it, though, and took her a bit to figure it out. However, she radioed in saying there is a bear emergency, code three, code three. There has been a bear attack at Granite Park Chalet. Code mm. three is the emergency code. Okay. Finally, a response came back. 10-4, said the radio. Ooh, they got it. A ranger named Bert Gildart. He's going to be coming up quite a bit. That's a cool name, too. Gildart? Yeah. yeah. Uh, He works the night shift in a truck with a shortwave radio. Uh, Ranger Gildart then relayed the call to the firefighter headquarters, where Ranger Gary Bunny was in charge. Nice. B-U-N-N-E-Y. Okay. Close uh, enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not sure I'd want my last name to be Bunny. That's, but, okay. He, he's going to hop on over, right? <laughs> he's going to hop on <laughs> over. Uh, Joan told um, Ranger Bunny they have a doctor but need medical supplies. So um, doc, the Dr. Lipinski told 
or there was another doctor there that kind of gave off a list of things to bring. I didn't write it down, but mm. a bunch of supplies that they need to bring mm-hmm. to help out Roy. But they have doctors there. Bunny told them that a rescue helicopter would be sent and help was coming. At this point, Joan and everyone else at the cabin argued if they should go looking for Julie or not. After some arguing, they kind of turned to Joan Devereaux. She decided it would be foolhardy to go randomly search for her with barely any light and a killer bear on the loose, and all they have is a small fire. Yeah. She decided for the group that they would go back to the chalet and wait for professional help. All they had was a fire, so Joan, I believe, makes a good call here. Yeah. Everyone wants to save the girl, but they'd just be putting themselves in danger. Yeah. Uh, Emotions ran high, but Joan was rational to the situation, and everyone followed her back to the chalet. Joan got a hold of Ranger Bunny again and said that there is a girl missing and they need a ranger with a rifle. With all the other rangers assisting with fires, it was up to Ranger Bunny himself. Wow. He got his rifle, a 300 Winchester Magnum. Nice. Uh, Bunny made a call to a helicopter pilot. This guy's name is John Westover. That's a good ah, name, too. There you go, it? yeah. Uh, this guy's cool. He flew in Vietnam and is a, just a tremendous pilot. He flew in combat missions in Vietnam and was fearless in a helicopter. Aren't there such cool people that work with the Rangers stuff? Right, yeah, you know? no kidding. They really it's are. Like, man. Uh, This is a very cool and interesting part of the story as well. So pilot John Westover and Ranger Bunny decided to fly to Granite Park Chalet. Something that they've done before in daylight. It's pitch black outside. Oh boy. In an area with big mountains and pitch black darkness, it is very easy to fly. It is very difficult to fly a helicopter, as you can imagine. Yeah. And it's 1967. The instruments aren't very good on the helicopter. But uh, Bunny and Westover called Joan and told her uh, in order for them to land, they need to make fires and give them light so they can find somewhere to land. And uh, they did. They found this a good spot right behind the chalet. So they did. They they um, they lit fires because they're literally flying blind. The fires Mm. are the only thing that helped them. Like they use they were using in the helicopter. They were using the glow of a red light in the helicopter to read a, a map to help them guide Jeez. themselves. That's how dark it is. Wow. And they, they barely had any, in, yeah, any instruments to help guide themselves too. Wow. Uh, even combat veteran Westover was pretty nervous this whole flight. Mm. Uh, Joan was able to get people to create four fires and gather flashlights to help guide in the chopper. Westover finds the fires and is able is able to land safely at the chalet, which is pretty incredible on its own. The medical supplies were rushed inside, and within a few minutes, Roy Ducat was carried to the helicopter. Westover, with his new passenger, ascended back into the air and uh, took the injured Roy to a hospital. Okay. Uh, we will finish Roy's story a bit later. Now, Ranger Bunny immediately joined the group to search for Julie. Ranger Bunny and Steve Pierre are in the lead. I mean, not to fit a stereotype, but Pierre, the Native American, well, he's pretty good at tracking. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, it just fits. I would have guessed. I mean, yeah. you would think, right? I mean, naturally. Yeah. But yes, he is very good at tracking. It's still dark out, but now they have the tub fire, more flashlights, and a ranger with a rifle. As well as a tracker. And uh, I'd feel much more confident searching for Julie now yeah. than I would have earlier. Yeah. And not very long into the search, Pierre spots a little bit of blood. Oh. He followed that blood spot with another one occurring every 20 yards. Jeez. That's a pretty good distance. Yeah. So he must be an excellent tracker or something. Yeah. They followed the trail and stopped after a bit and yelled out, Julie, Julie. They hear something. Ranger Bunny said it was the saddest thing he ever heard. He heard a little whimper saying, it hurts. Oh, no. Pierre follows the whimper and finds Julia Hel Helgeson. Most of her clothes have been ripped off. She was lying on her stomach, not moving. But she is still breathing. Barely. Mm. Severe wounds all over her body. Puncture wounds on her upper back and lungs where, where the bear picked her up and carried her off. Oh, wow. Some people went back to get the, the they went back to get that same bed to help um, take Julie back to the oh, chalet. Okay. While on the way back, Julie wakes up. She asks Don Gullet, who is helping carry her back. She asks him to hold her hand and he, and she says that she's scared. Don, of course, holds her hand. Father Connolly, also carrying, also carrying her, says, Lie quiet. The doctors are helping, and God is watching over you. She responds, Yes, I know he is. Mm -hmm. They carry Julie into the chalet, where Joan and others have turned it into an emergency room. With Dr. Lipinski ready, Julie is clinging onto life at this point. She had lost a tremendous amount of blood and barely breathing. Gee. There happened to be three doctors there, led by Lipinski. Even Lipinski's wife was there, and she was a nurse. So oh, they, got a, okay. they got a pretty good staff. Yeah. And Lipinski was at first hopeful, but realized too much time had passed, too much blood had been lost. Oh, Lipinski and Father Connolly exchange a glance, and Dr. Lipinski shook his head side to side. Oh. Father Connolly asked for some water. He baptizes Julie and gave her the sacrament of last rites. Oh, man. And right near the end of the prayer, 19-year-old Julie Helgeson, she dies. Oh, wow. She dies at 4.13 a.m., Sunday, August 13th, 1967, and she is the first bear casualty ever since Glacier National Park was created in 1910. Wow. So in 57 years, this is, she is the very first fatality. Wow. Um, Pilot Westover came back and picked up Julie's body. That's a... So it's kind of weird to be... Because he's in a small helicopter, like two-man uh -huh. helicopter. So oh, he's just okay. flying with a dead body. That's kind of weird. I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah. But do what you got to do. Um, <clears throat> and as we know, lightning was about to strike twice. Oh, boy. So that is the brunt of story number one. Okay. Crazy, uh, scary, and sad stuff. Huh? Yeah. What's weird is that the bear didn't even eat her. It just 
took her off and then yeah, leaves it seems her. like the bear didn't eat her. That's that is a strange bear. Yeah, it is. Well, that actually this was the not strange bear. Oh, really? Yeah. What strange was it bear doing was a, then. Why would well, it do I'll, that? I'll go over oh, okay. that later. But this okay. is a different bear. The strange the weird bear is Trout Lake Bear. Okay. Okay. Uh, let's now catch back up with our Trout Lake campers, okay? right. who just got to the ranger station near Kelly's camp. They get to the ranger station. The ranger there is Leonard Landa, or Landa, Len, no, sorry, Leonard Landa. That's it. Okay. After hearing and finally piecing together that this was not the same as the first attack, Ranger Landon, uh, or Landa, sorry. Tele- telephoned headquarters. Headquarters gave him the go-ahead to head to Trout Lake with his rifle. Ooh, okay. Uh, Paul Dunn and Ron Nosek accompanied the ranger back up to Trout Lake, kind of show him where everything happened. Headquarters also told Ranger Bert Gildart, told you to remember him. Yeah. Uh, he's the one who answered the the radio for Joan Devereaux. But uh, Bert was also told to go up to Trout Lake. And he was about 20 minutes behind Ranger uh, Leonard, and also with Paul and Ron. Oh, right. Make sense? Yeah. Okay. I feel like I'm throwing a lot of names out. Well, there are a lot of them, yeah. But, so if you get it's... confused, like I said, just, just feel free to ask. Another man who got a call was Pilot Westover. He uh, had a busy morning. He's had a busy morning. Oh, man. After flying Julie's dead body... He went back to his bunk, and almost immediately, he is needed again. Wow. Westover picked up another ranger with a rifle and flew them to Trout Lake. And, yeah, like I said, he's in a very small helicopter that only fits, like, two people. Okay. But um, Paul and Ron tell all... So there's a bunch of people that have met now at Trout Lake. The helicopter's there. A couple other rangers have shown up, so everybody's kind of gathered at Trout Lake now. Okay. Paul and Ron tell all the rangers at Trout Lake uh, where the bear had probably taken Michelle. The group followed a gruesome trail with blood until they finally come up to Michelle's body. It wasn't super hard to find her body. Uh, Ranger Leonard, uh, Ranger Leonard Landa was the first to find the body. He was in shock at what he saw and took him several moments to gather himself. Michelle's body was severely mutilated and partially eaten. Wow. Ron Nosek was uh, particularly in bad shape as he was very close with Michelle and he saw the body. Hmm. In the documentary at this point, I told you there was a documentary to watch. Okay. And at this point, um, they talked to him, they interview Michelle's family and they talk about they talk about the dreaded phone call they received. Her family had just gotten home from attending church. The ranger on the phone said, I'm sorry, I have to tell you, your daughter was killed. Oh, man. The Isn't ranger, that the worst news after oh, attending church? Be, it's, gotta, it's the worst news, period. It's, it's like, oh, what the heck? I just did my, you know, my... Uh, I just went to church. Yeah. <laughs> this happens, yeah. Um, the ranger said she was attacked by a grizzly bear. The father asked if anyone else was hurt, and the ranger said no. But uh, not a phone call you ever want to get no. that your daughter, has, your 19-year-old daughter, has oh. just died. Very sad stuff. Yeah. 
And Michelle is now the second ever bear fatality in Glacier National Park. Gee. Just a few hours Just before a, yeah, the first, yeah. after the first. Yeah. That was a close race then, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, if you look at the 57 years without, you know. Uh, let's go back to the Granite Park Chalet now. It is daylight there. Joan Devereaux and everyone at the chalet waited for armed rangers to escort them out. She had a conversation with Dr. Lipinski. He tried to comfort her, make her feel that they did everything that they could. He told her that they had that had Julie been as injured as she was in front of a great hospital, they still would not have been able to save her. Mm. Armed rangers arrive and escort everyone from the chalet down the mountain. So like all 50 or 60 people down. Oh, wow. Okay. So that kind of ends our two stories, but we have some aftermath to talk about. I mean, think about it. There are still two killer grizzly bears on the loose, right? So when did they call Jim Corbett? (laughs) Was he alive? No, he was dead by then. Uh, he was dead by by sixty-seven. Uh, or else they could have. That would have been like, pretty cool. <laughs> that would have been an Easter. Yeah, he's usually doing tigers and stuff. Oh, have him come to North America. Honda yeah, Bear would be a challenge for him. Yeah, but no, he is not in this story. Okay. For the next two nights, Rangers baited the chalet with orders to kill any bear that they see. Oh wow! They kill two adult bears. Then on the second night. They shoot and kill a sow, a mama bear. Hmm. The mama bear is with two cubs. Oh. After killing the sow, uh, and, and they examined her, they find spots that could be Julie's blood. Ooh. The sow also had a damaged dangling pad on her foot. It's like oh, the pad on her okay. foot was damaged and kind of flapping, huh. I, th- I, I think of it. A wound that would put her in constant pain. Oh. And now it was never determined with absolute certainty that this sow killed Julie, but most experts believe that this bear was the responsible one. Julie was the one at the chalet, right? At the chalet, yes. Okay. And they huh. think that this was the bear that was responsible. Huh. Wonder. You wonder why, though, if she wasn't going to eat it, you know? Or Maybe her. she was later. Maybe too much commotion was going on and it scared her mm. off her kill huh it's there are a lot of things are possible huh that's that's interesting yeah it's too bad though too at the same time i'm surprised they didn't see the the cubs the first time as well you know yeah the cubs weren't following her oh, i guess it was dark what yeah we... nobody could know yeah but the uh the next morning the cubs were again spotted a ranger shot at one and hit it in its jaw oh this cub somehow managed to live and survived wow. the winter, but was not. They, they saw it again in the following spring, and it was mercifully killed the next oh. spring. Uh, no, 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 nothing on the other cub. I don't know. Hmm. This was a pretty controversial at the time. Uh, shooting at the cubs received a lot of backlash. Yeah, that would have, as you would uh, think, because they were almost to the age where they could prob- probably take care of themselves. Yeah. So, but you wonder then if they had been taught to attack humans. You yeah. Know? You, you, it could have you even been know. them. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know if they, the cubs played a role in it or not. Hmm. 
So the uh, Trout Lake Bear, if you remember, this was the already a problem bear from earlier in the year that didn't fear humans. It was scrawny and unkept. People said uh, something was off with it. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, Rangers Bert Gildart and Leonard Landa were assigned to kill the bear. Right after Michelle Kuhn's body was found, park visitors were cleared out of the surrounding area. Okay. Trails were closed up. Um, the two armed rangers then headed back to kill the bear. They baited the campground where the attack happened. They waited for a few hours. Then, as darkness fell, they hiked two miles upstream to a trail cabin. Along the way, they spot fresh bear tracks and scat. Hmm. So they're, they're going to spend the night somewhere oh, okay. out of this trail cabin. And they arrive to the trail cabin and spend the night. But in the morning, the bear found them. Ooh. Must have been from the Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> that morning, Ranger Bert Gildart stepped outside and saw the bear about 40 feet away. Oh. It got up on its two legs and stared at Bert. Oh, boy. So Ranger Bert hollered at Ranger Leonard that the bear is outside. Go grab our guns. <laughs> How far away are they from the guns? Uh, in the... Oh, in the tent? In the um, cabin. The guns are in the cabin, so How they're far? not very far. Okay. The bear began moving towards them, actually. Oh, boy. They cocked their rifles and shot the bear, killing it. Mm. Within a few hours after they killed the bear, an FBI agent and park biologist were helicoptered into the area. Oh, wow. At, at the site. The biologist cut open the bear's stomach and found a ball of blonde hair Ooh. belonging to Michelle. Oh, boy. Something interesting they also found was bits of glass stuck in the bear's gums and teeth. Oh, yeah, wow. That so, means the bear was going through garbage and it got into some glass. Oh, okay. So indicating that it, too, must have been in constant pain. Oh, and we've yeah. learned before with our tigers stories that animals are in pain like this, like we had... Um, Previously, a tiger with porcupine quills stuck in it. Yeah. And another one had its foot was shot and it had like a shotgun pellet in it. And so when animals are are injured like this, they have a harder time with normal prey and they will go after humans. Mm. And they're angry. Yeah, yeah. angry. Like I know that a toothache hurts. It can drive you nuts. Imagine having glass stuck in your mouth. Yeah, ugh. This is probably why the bear was so scrawny and had a hard time eating with the glass. And it was just constantly irritated. So that could be a big reason why. And without a doubt, this is the bear that killed Michelle. And the other sow bear was highly believed to be the bear that killed Julie. Okay. But one big mystery remains that will likely never be solved. A mystery that has taken on an aura of myth nowadays. Why did two bears at Glacier National Park attack and kill on the same night? Yeah. Nobody knows. Huh. It's just sheer coincidence is what everybody thinks. That's crazy. I'm sure some uh, conspiracy theorists could try to make something out of this, but (laughs) uh, I don't see that happening. I don't think there's a bear conspiracy, but... uh, (laughs) There was not a bear conspiracy on this night. Coincidences, coincidences can happen. Yeah. But um, this story caught on 
pretty after a few days. Mm-hmm. Uh, two deadly bear attacks in one night. The story raced across the country. Every newspaper was covering the story, and it was a big story back then. Roger or Walter Cronkite covered the story. Oh wow! So I I I don't really know who that is, but I've heard the name, so I'm oh, assuming that's a big big news guy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He was be well before my time. Before but he, your time. Well, no, he was in my time. Was uh, he? When did he stop? I think he stopped in the Bush era. Is when he stopped. Which yeah, Bush? he was. I can't remember to be honest, <laughs> but yeah, he was. He was doing. I remember. He was doing, he was a, yeah, he was doing news for quite okay. a while. Might have stopped around when Dane and I were married. So yeah, you would have been pretty young. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sidebar, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> as, as you would think, it's, that would, that this kind of story would be juicy for the newspapers, right? Yeah. And like I said, uh, we just, there was just a story in Alaska in the last week, so we know how this the story it was all over my feed, so we know how stories can get on like yeah, that, yeah. The interaction. So, and we'll, we'll cover that story another time. But there is a silver lining to the night of the Grizzlies, though. The incidents of this night were the catalyst for the move in a whole new era for grizzly bear management. Hmm. No longer can you actively feed or leave trash out like before. No longer was it acceptable for bears to be habituated to humans. This didn't happen overnight, but it did It did eventually happen. Yeah. And how grizzlies are managed today largely stems from this one night. Mm. Two years after the attack, crime writer Jack Olson wrote a three-part series for Sports Illustrated, which later turned into a best-selling book, Night of the Grizzlies. Mm. Uh, this was a, the book that I listened to on Audible. Yeah. And, Everyone that was involved with the story said that the book was very accurate. And I got a big chunk of my info directly from the audible version of the book. So okay. it's really good. So if anybody wants to check it out, I recommend it. But uh, by the early 1970s, Grizzlies had been actively hunted and killed, facing extinction in the lower 48 states. Wow. The Endangered Species Act of 1973 was a crucial turning point for the grizzly and may have saved them from extinction down in the lower 48. After that, and even nowadays, bear management policies are basically separate humans from bears and try to give bears plenty of room. And you can really only find grizzly bears now in parts of like Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana in the Rocky Mountains. Then, of course, in Canada, along the Rockies and in Alaska. That's really where you can only find grizzly bears. I mean, now grizzly bears are a subspecies of brown bears, Mm -hmm. but we just call them grizzly bears here. Yeah. To wrap up the story, a few final things here. So, the National Park Service gave ranger naturalist Joan Devereaux an award honoring her courage and leadership during the events at Granite Park Chalet. Oh, right on. Like I said, she did very well for a 22-year-old in a situation like that. Yeah. And she deserves the credit. Nice. What kind of awards do they have? What do, I have do you know no what they're idea. called? Huh. I have no idea. That's interesting. They, I have no idea That's what they That's good that they give. do that. Yeah. I didn't know they, they do. give some tree bark to her. <laughs> tree bark. <laughs> Um, this is the Sequoia Award for Standing Tall. <laughs> uh, Michelle Coons died August 13th, 1967. And then on August 13th, 1976, her, nine years later, her sister gave birth to a baby girl on the exact same day. Wow. Named her Courtney Michelle. Oh. But yeah, same day. Isn't that wild? Yeah. 
1967, there were an estimated 200 grizzlies remaining in and around the park. Today in northwest Montana, there are nearly 800. So Gee, there's more, okay. more grizzlies now than there were in 1967. Okay. But Dave, that is going to wrap up our coverage on Night of the Grizzlies. Wow. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I, I know I did. I hope everyone else did too. Yeah. And if anyone wants to know more and dive deeper into the story, I recommend Jack Olson's book. And there's also a documentary you can watch. It's just on YouTube, also called Night of the Grizzlies. So you can check that out if you want. Nice. I got those. Those were my main sources. Both of those two. Okay. All right, so by next episode, it will be October, my favorite month. The last two Octobers, we had more specific episodes we did. Uh-huh. Kind of an October series. Yeah. We did uh, hunting accidents. Uh-huh. And then we some scarier animals, like we've done vampire bats, werewolves, spiders, and scary mythological monsters yeah. as kind of a Halloween special. Uh-huh. I'm not sure what we're going to do this year. Huh. I don't know what we're going to, what next episode's going to be. I'm not sure what our Halloween theme is going to be. I was thinking mm. maybe rats. Yeah, that'd be a good one. Yeah. Rats are, there's a lot to rats. You so could do we, raccoons because they do wear masks, <laughs> you know. They're trash pandas. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do. We might not, we may or may not do a hunting accidents one again. I'm not sure. Hmm, okay. Everything. Is, I like those though. I do too. Yeah. It's up in the air. Uh, maybe we've got some requests for Tasmanian devils. There you go, yeah. So uh, that's a Halloween theme too. Kind of devil, you know. Yeah. Um, so next episode's going to be a surprise, I guess. So okay. Stay tuned. Yeah. In other news, I will be doing the narration for a book on Audible. Actually, a series of three books. Uh, the series is called Animal Attacks. Nice. Very fitting. Oh yeah. Uh, by author Tom Loins. He has written a bunch of Bigfoot things before too. Oh, right on. From what I found. But the book is a compilation of real animal attack stories. And I've read the first book and it's, it's real short, just a little over a hundred pages, but some wild stories. Uh, there may be a cougar attack, maybe oh. a dolphin attack. <laughs> there dolphin. may even be a woman who gets her eye gouged out by a bird. Oh my goodness. So when that book comes out, I'll let everybody, wow. I'll let everybody know. Uh, the book is, isn't too different than like an episode that we do. Oh, okay. Other than I'm, I, you're not in there and I got to be script. <laughs> yeah, but the way it's, though. the way it's done is pretty similar to how we do things anyway. Right. On. So I think uh, everyone will like it and I'll keep everyone updated on when it, that comes out and everything. Okay. Oh, also merch is being made. We have a very cool design for our new t-shirt. Uh, should be made soon. Uh, all I got to do is figure out how to distribute them to people who want them. And like, if we sign up for like a website that uh-huh. will distribute them for us, they'll they take like all the profits. We'll oh, get barely okay. anything out of it. And I don't know if we can justify getting onto a website. I mean, if we were selling like hundreds and hundreds of them mm-hmm. then I could see that, but I don't see that happening at the moment. So I'll probably just operate it myself. Okay. Um, yeah. Maybe people could use PayPal or Venmo. Send me your name and your address and your size, and then I could send it out to them. That's, yeah. I feel like, going to be easier. Yeah. Yeah, you put a um, a picture on face, was it Facebook, Facebook or Instagram? Facebook and Instagram. Okay, so, yeah, I would recommend listeners go on there, see if you like the shirt, and say whether you'd be interested or not. And Some that way we did. can gauge how many shirts we should be getting and starting with. You know what yeah. I mean? That we would help, that would help us out, make sure we get enough uh, uh, merchandise for it. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking too. So yeah, yeah, that would be helpful. Some people did. Oh, did they? Okay. So that's good. 
Um, one bad thing, though, maybe for international listeners, that might be a little bit more difficult oh, to send stuff internationally. Darn. I know, like one third of our audience is international. Yeah, but I, I will, I will look into it. I just don't know how if that would be plausible. Okay, but there are definitely good quality shirts. I know that uh, we didn't go for anything real cheap or anything, but and they're really good looking shirts too. I like them a lot. All right, but no shout-outs, Dave, but we can... No. What can people do if they want to help us out? Go to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, where you listen to, subscribe, rate, review, give us five stars, say something you like. It really helps us gain more attention, gain more listeners. If you want to become a more awesome listener of the show and get an, a, a Ranger Award, such as those given out for the Grizzly Attacks, you can donate by PayPal or... Uh, what else we have? Venmo. Venmo, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Dave. You're, I like it when you do that. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we've got PayPal. You can find us by our email, forceofnaturepod at gmail.com, or on Venmo on my personal account, Matthew-Hamilton-51. And all of this info is in the description below. And to all the listeners, feel free to contact us. If you ever want to tell us a cool animal-related story of you or someone you know, uh, or if you just want to suggest an episode idea, say hi, or you want to ask a question, feel, feel free. You can email us, message us on Facebook or Instagram. You also help us grow by recommending us to family and friends. Tell them we are on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google. We're on all the platforms we need to be on. Uh, Dave, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I, got, I actually have something to add this whoa, time. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> After eight, what is this, 89 episodes, <laughs> and you actually have something to add? Yeah, yeah. First you know, time. Uh, okay. we, we were talking during the, well, this episode was kind of, uh, not quite a moral of the story, but something you could take out of it was where we started to distance ourselves from nature, stopped feeding it, stopped. Uh, letting trash around for him, you know, thinking that was fun. That that stopped quite a while ago. I've noticed in, re- in, in this year, actually, there's been a lot more people out camping, mm-hmm. going to national parks that normally didn't just because of the COVID experience mm-hmm. has locked so many things down. And there's been a lot of news about graffiti, more trash being left, uh, people trampling things, doing things they shouldn't be that's ruining what's been left there to help people enjoy. And it's also going to disrupt the, uh, uh, I guess, the biome of, of how animals will then react. There's more trash around. And look what happened with uh, the bear, bear having trash around, glass stuck in. You never know what's going to happen, what you end up doing by those things. So so my, I guess one thing is be a little more careful and cautious when you're out in nature with, the, with that stuff, because it really... I think this story was an, uh, a great example of helping us understand the consequences of not doing such such things, you know. Very good, Dave. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Oh, wait, you should chime in in 89 more episodes. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Something else. Uh, I'll keep a, a note. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That was very good. Well said. Um, Professor Cheetor, you got anything for us? Dave, you are a bit of a hypocrite since you and your family bring me Cheetos and other goodies all the time down here. Oh. Uh... D- Dang it! <laughs> well, Dave being a hypocrite. Well, he got there. me. Well, I guess I better stop. <laughs> it's okay to feed cheetahs, I guess. Especially when they're not real. Yeah, feed them, <laughs> feed them che- uh, yeah, Cheetos. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. This is Force of Nature Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Tell your friends. Be a part of building us up. And we will see you next time. Bye! Bye.